Well, as we've been studying through the book of John, we have just seen just an incredible display of our God. We've gone through and, and, and he, he begins the book by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It begins by that, just this incredible display of, in the beginning was Christ. He was with God. He was God. He created everything that exists. Not only did he do that, but in him was life. Life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John begins with that. The darkness did not comprehend it. And we find that as we go through this book, as we go through account after account, just of, from the Gospel of John, not, not taking into consideration Matthew and, and Mark and, and Luke, but looking at the display of, of Christ here and, and, and going through and, and seeing him do things like, like turning water into wine or the way that he spoke to the people, the cleansing of the temple, Working in, in, in just incredible ways where he ministers to people who, who are sick or who are hurt. Um, we find him healing the, the, the nobleman's son or, or healing the man at the, the pool of Bethesda. We find him going through and, and having all kinds of people coming to him with all kinds of sicknesses and he heals them all. You, you, you imagine that taking place in our day. Like if we knew that there was somebody at this particular location in Southern California and he could heal anybody of anything and you could just imagine just groves of people. I mean, hospitals asking people, can you just take me? You know, can you take me? Can you take me in my bed? I don't care how I get there. And, and you'll find people in, in the Gospels that are doing that, lowering their friend from the ceiling, you know, in his bed. And you'll find people, just groves of people come to him. And if that was taking place here, you could just imagine the, the flooding of people that would be going to be healed. And it wasn't like they were partially healed. You hear people say things like that where, yeah, God, God healed me. You know, I mean, it still comes up every once in a while, but God healed me. And I look at it, I think, no, no, when he heals, he heals Completely. Completely. I mean, you, you look through here, and it, it doesn't mean that, that, that God doesn't show grace to, uh, to us and cause relief from pain or relief from sickness. But when you imagine what's taking place here, everybody's being healed. And they're being healed entirely. Withered hands that are just being totally restored. People just covered with, with leprosy that are made clean and, and their skin is perfect and they're told, go show yourself to the priest. It's just radical works. People who are dead being raised to life. In chapter 6 alone, we find him feeding 5,000 people. Um, 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. Loaves and 
fish. And he is, has the ability just to, to feed these people one after another and, and, and baskets, 12 baskets that are left of just the fragments of, of what's left behind. And, and you'd look at these things and you just think like, imagine being someplace, you're hungry, you have no place to get food, and here's Jesus, he takes a small little amount of, of bread and fish and just multiplies it to feed 20,000 people. The Lord working in just incredible ways. Shortly after this, he goes and, and walks on the sea and comes to his disciples. All that's taking place, and then we find him, in the context of our text for this morning, teaching the people. Look with me as we, as we just review for a moment. John 6, 26. John six twenty six. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now you, just, you hear the words of our Lord to the people there. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which I'll give you. They respond by saying, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answers and says to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe in him. That's the work of God. Believe. Well, they immediately respond by, well, what sign will you perform then that we may see and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate man in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What trick are you going to do? Do a trick. Do a miracle. Do something. We want to see something big. You know. Moses, he, he gave our people bread in, in the, in the, from heaven to eat. He, he, he gave them manna. You fed us one day. You gave us one meal. But he gave us bread for all of those years in the desert. And Jesus responds by saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It wasn't Moses that gave you the bread, it was God. And when God gave you that bread, it was pointing ahead, it was pointing ahead to me. I'm the bread. I've come down from heaven. So they respond by saying, well, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I'll by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Just powerful when you think of what God is saying here. 
Here Christ is just going through and, and just saying, just I'm the bread of life. Come. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Just come. And then he says, I, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. He's looking at these people and just saying, you've seen me. You've seen all that I've done. You've seen water turn to wine. You've seen blind people able to see. You've seen people who were at the point of death being made well. You've seen me multiply fish and, and loaves. You, you've seen all of these things that, that I've done. You've heard everything that I've said, yet you do not believe. And then he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. It's incredible words of our Lord. All of them. They will come to me. And the one who comes to me I'll by no means cast out. And we've been looking at the last, over the last few weeks at this and just the invitation is, is such that it is not limited. Whoever comes to him, all who come to him will by no means be cast out. They'll by no means be set aside. Every person who is here, regardless of your age, regardless of how much you have been surrounded by the gospel or whether you're hearing it for the first time this morning, whether you were saved as a young child or whether you're saved as, a, as an adult that has just committed incredible numbers of sin, regardless of whether it is that you're healthy or not or whether you've been a faithful husband or have been married a dozen times. Whether you've spent years in prison or should have, or whether you were an Eagle Scout. All of them. The one who comes to me will by no means be cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. The security that is there for us, I'll lose none of them. I'll lose none of them. I will raise them up at the last day. Last week we spent our time looking at that particular doctrine and in, in, in the, the surety that we have as Scripture makes it so clear, so crystal clear that he holds us in his, in, his, in his hand. And the Father who's greater than all holds us in his hand. And there's no one that can snatch us away. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. He began a good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. He gives you everlasting life. It cannot be taken away. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's no one who can condemn you. Well, after hearing all of these things, in verse 41, the Jews then complained about him. Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Immediately they go to a place of complaining. They hear all of these things. They see all that they've seen. And their hearts are at a place of, who does he think he is? To say, I am the bread which came down from heaven. How can he say that? 
How can you say I'm the bread which came down from heaven? How can you say that I am the manna that, that, that Moses gave to, to God's people? How can he say something like that? I mean, you, you look and, and you think, you think of, of, a, of the hardness of man's heart. You look at, at, at passages like this and, and you, you look and you, you see, it, it wasn't just that they saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle and heard teaching like they had never heard before. Brothers and sisters, they saw Christ. They looked at Christ. They saw him. They saw God incarnate. I mean, you, you hear people saying like, I'm not going to become a Christian. I don't know. There's so many hypocrites within Christianity. I'm not going to become a Christian. I, I've been around the church. I've seen how people are in church. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to become a Christian. As if that's the reason why they're not becoming Christians. No, these people saw Christ. There, there was no hypocrisy there. It's perfect in all of his ways. Without sin. Spoke like no one else had ever spoken. And could heal in such a way that multitudes and multitudes were healed. There was no one that was turned away. And yet still, they're grumbling. I look at that and I, I, I hear what is being said and I just think, that's me. That was you. That was all of us prior to being Christians. And like, we would like to think that we were so open-minded and we would like to think that we were just searching and searching and searching and finally we found it. But the account of Scripture says something radically different than that. I mean, we grow up wanting to have such a high view of ourselves. We, we hear things like, well, man is basically good. Man's not basically good. You go through, I mean, it, that, so much of, of that teaching and that doctrine of man's ability to work all these things out, and he is basically good, and we will come to a, a point of... of Really just not even needing God at all because of how good man is. That, that was like a huge teaching in the early part of the 1900s. But what do you think ended that teaching? World War II radically ended how much that was being promoted as far as a philosophy was concerned. Nobody looked at those and, and all that took place in the Holocaust and just thought like, well, man, man is basically good. They didn't think that way. They looked and just said, like, look at the wickedness that is there amongst men. But man, today is still not basically good. I mean, you, you look at what took place with the riots recently within Ferguson and, and other riots that have taken place around. I remember when my, my grandpa passed away. He passed away right at the time of the L.A. riots. And so we were there for the funeral service as the riots were breaking out. And I, I remember, I remember just driving, and, and we we were all dressed up. We looked like the Japanese mafia, so no one messed with us at all. <laughs> and, and 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 we're we're driving, and and, we're, and people are pulling stuff out of buildings, just stealing whatever they wanted to steal. People are running around the freeway. We're on the freeway, stuck in traffic, and you, you see people just running all all over the freeway. And, and none of us sat there going, well, look at how good people are. I mean, as soon as law was not there, it, it was chaos that took place. But even beyond that, we're spiritually blind. 
2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Their eyes are blinded to these things. They're blinded. We were slaves to sin. John 8 makes that clear where Jesus says, Moses, surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Um, Romans 8, 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It just makes it clear, you, you're, you, you were spiritually blind, and in your flesh you had no ability to please God. The, the idea that, that, that man's searching for God and, and just looking for him and trying to find him, God doesn't say that that's the case with us. He says things rather like in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. They don't seek after him. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Can't know them. Why? Because the extent of our sin, of who we are, we're not in a place of, I just want to just find goodness. I want to find Christ. I want to search for God and find him. Where can I find him? That's not what God says about us. God says that he's made his invisible attributes clearly seen. He's revealed these things to us, but we suppress the truth in our own unrighteousness. We, we worship the creation rather than the creator. We, we make a God in our own image and say, I want him to be like this and and I want him to be able to be controlled by me in this way. And I'll make a God who's not holy. And I'll make a God who allows for these things in my life. And this is the God that I want to serve. And you'll hear people say, well, to me, God is like this. And I would say, like, you made an image of God in your own image, the way that you wanted him to be. And that's what God says that they do. It's not that they're seeking after him. They're running from him. They're running from a holy God. They're running from a holy God that cannot be a part of sin whatsoever. We were dead spiritually. Ephesians 2, 1. And you he made alive, Christians, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you once conducted yourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, even when you were blind spiritually, even when you had no desire to go after God, God is the one who was rich in mercy. We would like to think that we can make ourselves better, but in Jeremiah thirteen twenty three it says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard its spots, then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. 
Is it possible? I mean, can you go to somebody who is an unbeliever, somebody who wants nothing to do with the things of God, and can you go to them and say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and always love your neighbor as yourself and don't covet and don't become angry in a place that is sin and, and don't lust, don't do these things. And can they, by their own willpower, say, I will do that from this point on? It's just not possible. Our, our hearts are prone towards evil, and it cannot be changed unless it is God that changes us. And so we look at this in the, in the account here before us, and they start grumbling. They complain, because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I come down from heaven. It can't, be, it, it can't be anybody other than Jesus, the one who's the son of Joseph. Mary's his mom. We know him. How can it be that he says things like, I am the bread which came down from heaven? I mean, forget all of the miracles that have taken place. Forget the fact that you go through and you see it all throughout Scripture that there was a Messiah who was going to be coming, and he had to become a man. I mean, you go through, they, you, you, you see it. I, scripture where it's, it's made clear unto us a child is born, a son is given. He used to be called what? Mighty God. You go through and you, you see in, in, at the fall, what, what happens? It's, it's to the serpent, it said, from the seed of the woman, there'd be one that would bruise your head, crush it. All through scripture, we see that there is one who is going to come. He'd be born of a virgin. He'd be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. But in their minds, they're not thinking about any of that. They're just looking at, you're the son of Joseph. How can you, even though you've done all of these things, say, I'm the bread which came down from heaven? Well, Jesus answered and said to them in verse 43, Do not murmur among yourselves. Do not murmur among yourselves. Here they are complaining. How can you say that? You can't say that. And they're murmuring amongst themselves. And Jesus says, do not murmur among yourselves. The next thing that he says is, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. What he says there in verse 44 is directly related to what he said before that, do not murmur amongst yourselves. Why? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. To me, I'll read a verse like that. It's just glorious to me. I mean, to to think of of who I was, dead in my sins and trespasses, spiritually blind, not seeking after him at all. The inclination of my heart was evil. I had no ability to change my spots or to change my skin. I, I... was in sin and and a slave to sin. And then, and and so were you. 
And then to think what God has done for us. To think that he, he takes us in through his word and causes it to come alive to us. His word is such that it doesn't return void. Through the power of his word, through the gospel that we find in scripture, we look and we read and we see and, and he, he takes us who were so proud and so arrogant and felt like we could just do everything by ourselves And he shows us our sin. If you're a believer here this morning, he showed you your sin, didn't he? You know. You know there came a point where you looked and you're like, I need a savior. Badly. I, I have sinned. I need help. Not only that, but he, he made you long for him. It changed your heart. You changed your affections. We all sin, right? We, we still sin. If we say we're without sin, we lie. The truth isn't in us. We sin. But it doesn't change that we, we love righteousness now. We, we want to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. We really want to love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to love the lost. We want to go and, and proclaim the gospel here and even to the uttermost parts of this world. We see people who are in need and we want to minister to their needs in the name of Christ. Not that they would look at us and be like, wow, you guys are amazing. But rather that they would be at a, at a place of, of, who is this God that they serve? Everything that we do, Lord willing, is, 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 is pointing people to Christ. We want to point them to Christ. We look for opportunities in, in talking with people to, to proclaim the gospel to them. We want that. We hate sin. We want to run from sin. We, we say things like Paul, like, what am I doing? The things I want to do, I don't do. The, the, the things that I hate are the very things that I do. A wretched man that I am. We say things like that. I hate this. Why do I do this? Why do I keep returning to this? We call upon God in prayer. God, please keep us from sin. Keep me from this sin. Help me to pursue you. Help me to, to, to love you properly. Help me to worship you in spirit and in truth and all that is within me. Help, help me to not love the things of this world. We pray things like that because God has done this radical change in our hearts. We want to spend time with him. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 63 where he's just there and he says, I, I long for you. Like in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will bless you. They'll praise you. I mean, we, we want him. Early in the morning, I'll seek you. There's a change that's occurred. And, and, and not only that, but we, 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 just the hope of eternity. He's drawn us to himself in such a way that we, we, we think of heaven. We think of eternity with him, and it just brings us incredible joy, doesn't it? With some of you, I've been there with you when you've had a loved one pass away. Or shortly after. 
and I'll be there is, is to minister to you and to weep with you as many of you do for one another. But what goes in my mind when I know that there's a believer that's gone to heaven, and I'll sometimes say this to you, is what do you think he's doing right now? What do you think she's doing right now? Like she breathed her last about four minutes ago, ten minutes ago. What do you think they're doing right now? Because I look forward to like what's going to happen in the first four minutes when I pass away. The first ten minutes. What am I going to see? I think of like a breath that comes in that's filled with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. And there's no more pain and there's no more sadness. And, and, and yet ultimately it's just, I want to see him. To be able to see him, my savior, the one who fulfilled all righteousness for me and then died on the cross so that he could take all of my sins upon himself. The one that I'll spend all eternity praising and to be able to just see him tells us that we will see him. We will be with him. He'll be our God and we'll be his people for all eternity. And so when Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day, that just translates into my mind as far as you drew me. You drew me. The reason why your word came alive to me and the reason why I started loving righteousness and hating sin and the reason why I just desire to spend time with you and the reason why I will spend eternity and I will see you and I will praise you now and forevermore is because you drew me. That's what it says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Meaning there's not one of us who is a believer today apart from the fact that he drew you to himself. By his grace. It's glorious to me. It's praiseworthy. I like it. I love it. It's the most incredible thing to think of the creator of this entire universe who is perfectly holy, without sin, all powerful, at all places, at all times, can speak things into existence. And he drew me. And he drew you. And he will raise you up at the last day. He will. He goes from there and says, as support for that, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. They shall be taught by God. So he drew you to himself. The Old Testament says they will be taught specifically by God. God taught you. He's the one that did that. When you're looking at it and saying, okay, there's this brother and he came and he shared the gospel with me and he showed me in God's word these things and he made it so clear to me and and this is what happened. Here was the circumstances in my life and it was at the perfect time and this is the message that I heard or this is what I spoke with my friend or I was in my car and I looked at my Bible and I turned to here and this is what I found. And you, however it is that you got saved, the bottom line is God taught you. God did it. He taught you. 
comes from Isaiah 54, verse 13, where speaking to Israel, it says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. They will be taught by the Lord. You find it again in Jeremiah 31, 31, where it's talking about this new covenant that's coming. And God says here, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. When I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, which though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds. I'll put my law in their minds. And I'll write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God. And they shall be my people. No more shall any man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. I'll do it. I'll teach them. And we look at this and we take this into t- today and we think, how, how did he do that for his people? We think ultimately of Christ. They saw him. They saw Christ. They saw God. God with them. They looked and, and Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I mean, they, they were able just to look right into the person of Christ and see the Father. Not only that, but it's recorded for us in Scripture to where we can look at that and see the Father. We can see his heart. We can see a God who will humble himself and become the least of all men and then willingly go to the cross and take our sins upon himself. And even in the midst of all of it, say things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We will see him do that. We see his heart. We see him reach out and touch the leper. We see him weeping with those that are weeping. We have his word. We have his word, which just teaches us, and God uses us to teach us specifically about him. But he also causes us who are blind able to see. He takes hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh. He teaches us. You are here this morning because he taught you. You are here this morning because God caused the light of the glory of God the face of Christ to be revealed to you, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to be revealed to you to where you look and you see him and you're not like those that are murmuring, Lord willing, saying, how can he go and say that? How can he say that? The sweetness of the Holy Spirit drawing us and teaching us. That's what the Lord has done. And they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. They are taught by me, and they come to me, all of them. And we look at this, and we say, like, God's grace. The way in which his Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts, and he tells us that he will raise us up at the last day. It's praiseworthy. 
When you look at our salvation, we're brought to a place of saying things like the psalmist says in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Not unto us, not unto us, but to you is glory. Jesus goes from there and says, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. No one else has seen the Father except for Christ. He who is from God, he has seen the Father. The authority in which he says these things aren't just simply from somebody that is just saying these things. Jesus is telling these people as they are murmuring, I've seen the Father. I came from him. I am sent by him. So from there, most assuredly or truly, truly, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. He who believes in me has everlasting life. That is the message that I pray that we would boldly proclaim here and even to the uttermost parts of this world. The gospel. He who believes in Christ has everlasting life. A message that goes forward where we proclaim it and we say it and we, we do it in, in such a way with boldness, Lord willing, but knowing that it's God that it's God that teaches them. I mean, we can proclaim it, but some of the people's hearts are going to be so hard that they're going to just run and run and run and murmur and hate him more, just like all of us did. But the power of the word in which the Holy Spirit uses to draw people unto himself, the gospel in which the Lord uses to draw people unto himself, confidence in knowing that. I, I shared with you that um, on my way home from Africa, I was stuck at an airport in South Africa for like five or six hours with someone. And I prayed that I'd have the opportunity to minister the gospel to this person. And I did for like five hours just sat there, they would ask questions and I would respond and they'd ask questions and I'd respond. And I went through and like, person went from saying, well, I don't believe in God to, to well, I know I, I believe in God. I just don't know that I believe in Christ. And my encouragement to this person was read the Gospel of John. Just read the Gospel of John and they agreed to do it. But I know like it wasn't my brilliance for five hours that will ever change this person's heart. I pray for this person that the Lord would draw them unto him. Pray that he would use the words that I said and use the words that came from scripture. Use the friends that are around. I got an email this last week saying, I spoke with this person for a significant period of time. They really enjoyed your conversation in South Africa. And they are asking all kinds of questions about the gospel of John. How does that happen? Well, the kindness of our God, isn't it? 
the kindness of our God to teach us. Just like us. I mean, I think of people who are just like, oh, man, I don't think that person will ever get saved. And what does God do? They, he saves them. But you see people who are just, that they've been stuck in their ways for so long. And all of a sudden, the Lord just changes their hearts and causes their eyes to be open. And all of their hope and all of their faith is in Christ. That's why we proclaim the gospel, isn't it? With boldness, just boldness in proclaiming the gospel because we know that the Lord uses his word to accomplish his purposes and there's nothing that's too hard for him. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray for the lost. We pray that they would come to salvation. We proclaim the gospel. We go and just the feet that go and just preach the good news and there's gladness in doing it. May we just do that. May that message of most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life be that which we just repeat to others. Look at what Christ said. Look at what he said. Look at what he said to those that were murmuring against him. I pray that this understanding of who God is and what he has done in our life as far as drawing us unto himself, may that cause our hearts to praise him this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for our text this morning. To be able to look and and to hear you say that you drew us to you. Our Father in heaven drew us and brought us to the Holy Godhead. You taught us by maybe a friend. Maybe someone that was just reading God's word to us. Maybe a sermon. Maybe a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister. Maybe by just the sweetness of your still small voice. But you taught us. It wasn't that some of us were drawn by you or taught by you. All of us were. And we give you all the glory for our salvation. There is a reason why we love you, Lord. It's because you first loved us. There's a reason why we love you. It's because you drew us unto yourself. You taught us. Even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Even when our hearts were far from you. Even when our hearts were hard, Lord. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And you taught us. I pray that this would be a, a sanctuary filled with saints that are in love with their Savior on this morning for what you have done in our lives. But surely in, in a sanctuary like this, there's those that possibly don't know you. Maybe, Lord, on, on a morning like this, you're, you're drawing someone to you at this very minute. Showing them their sin and showing them their need of a Savior. Showing them that you died on the cross and took all of their sins upon yourself and you fulfilled all righteousness to give it to them and that they can have it by faith in you. That whoever believes in you, Christ, has everlasting life. And I pray 
that you would draw them unto you this morning and that this would be the day in which they come to salvation and their faith and their hope is only and completely in you and that you will raise them up the last day. By faith in you, faith in you alone, that we are saved. We, We pray, Lord, we're so dependent upon you. There's no brilliance in my ability to teach that could ever change one heart. Or lack of brilliance that could ever change one heart. It's only you that can change a heart, Lord. It's only you that can cause these words to come alive. And we pray that you would do that in each person's heart here this morning. That there would not be one person that leaves the sanctuary without having all of their hope and their faith and their trust in you, Christ, and your work upon the cross. Thank you, Lord, so much for the gospel. We thank you so much for drawing us unto yourself. Not unto us, not unto us, but to you be glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.